Hey everyone, it's just me today. Due to the ThoughtBot Summer Summit and Sean's vacation, we do not have an episode prepared for you today. Instead, what we do have for you is an episode of ThoughtBot's new podcast, The Lila and Brenda Show. I've been listening to every episode and I've enjoyed each one of them. So we thought we'd bring you uh, one of their episodes in our feed so you can get a taste and see what it's like. When you enjoy the show, head over to lilaandbrenda.fm and hit up their feed to subscribe to their show. We will also be off next week due to other vacations, well-deserved by our producer, Tom. Hello. (laughs) So uh, enjoy the rest of your summer, and we will be back with new episodes in September. Thanks for listening. Welcome to the Lila and Brenda Show, the podcast where we talk to designers, developers, and other creative people in tech about their work. Hey, Lila. Hey, Brenda. How's it going? It's going all right. It's been a it's been a month. Yeah, it has been a month. What's new? Um, let me think. I have been having some really good conversations about Beverly Hills Cop this week, which is really random. But I was at a lunch place the other day, and I was like, "This this music, it's so familiar. What is it?" And it was the Beverly Hills Cop theme song. And you have a thing for theme songs. <laughs> yeah, maybe so. When we were looking for our theme song. What was the one that you sent me for? Oh, you sent me the one from Quantum Leap. Yes, I guess I have a thing for like 80s theme songs. It's pretty amazing. And the, the whole intro on YouTube is pretty amazing. Yes, it it is. Yeah, so my coworker was recently sick for a few days and he said he was inspired by our conversation about the Beverly Hills Cop theme song to watch all of the Beverly Hills Cop movies. And he says the first one is definitely the best, but the second two are entertaining and worth watching. And I've only seen the first one, so now I'm thinking I want to watch the other two. Well, you know, the third one is filmed at Great America Amusement Park in Santa Clara. <laughs> no, I didn't know California. that. California, yeah. Which, uh, in fact, I went to two weeks ago. Um, oh, really? And relived my childhood because I grew up uh, about five miles from there. So we went during my junior high years. I think I went once a week during the summer. (laughs) Wow. Um, And it's changed a ton, but like still some of the original rides are there. And it Mm. was awesome. It was so much fun. And I still knew like every nook and cranny of the park. Oh, so it's pretty much the same. Same enough. Yeah. 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 Let's see here. I've been uh, I've been catching Pokemon. Mm-hmm. And I have no idea what I'm doing. Does anybody know what they're doing with that game? Are you doing? Are you playing that? I am not. I'm content to observe people on the street playing it. <laughs> so I never. Um, I have no experience with Pokemon because I think like I was just just a little too old for Pokemon first time it came around. So I, I actually just learned that Pikachu is a Pokemon mm-hmm. about a month ago. So that is all the preparation I have for this. I literally just like throw balls and catch things and I have no idea what I'm supposed to do with them. <laughs> but I, but in Bryant Park today, man, tons of Pokemon out in Bryant Park today. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't, I, I don't know. I have a lot of questions about Pokemon Go, but I'm afraid of getting sidetracked. I have, <laughs> I have so many questions. Um, I have a very limited understanding of Pokemon Go. I've heard that Fighting is not that satisfying because you're just spamming a button and there's no actual skill, but that's like all I know about it. I have no idea because I just went into battle once and didn't know what to do and <laughs> just got defeated in like five seconds. Okay. But I, I was just talking to a coworker, um, George Brocklehurst, mm-hmm. and he said, uh, 
he, he made a point that it's kind of a messed up concept of like running around New York City trying to catch cute little animals <laughs> to put them in fights against each other. <laughs> yeah, it, it is when you put it that way. It's not really clear what the appeal is. <laughs> anyway, we've got a really great guest today that I'm just really excited to talk to because I haven't talked to in a while. Yes, absolutely. Today we're joined by Jesse Young. Jesse is a developer bringing modern software development practices to the U.S. government through her work at 18F, which is a division of the General Services Administration. Brenda and I know Jesse because she uh, used to work at ThoughtBot before joining 18F. Last year, she spent about three years at ThoughtBot San Francisco office. So, welcome, Jesse. Hello. Hey, Jesse. So much I wanted to contribute to the Pokemon convo. Yeah, I was oh, can say, you? <laughs> what's your Please. experience been? So my experience has been that like I'm too embarrassed to play. Mm-hmm. So it's like more embarrassing because I'm too embarrassed. Like not only am I uncool and want to play Pokemon, but I'm so uncool that I can't just do it mm-hmm. and be like, yes, I'm going <laughs> to play. So I only have one Pokemon. <laughs> oh, but you have played. <laughs> oh, I have the app, and I open it and walk around the city all the time, and uh-huh. then I, like, look around, like, is anyone here? And uh-huh. there's always someone there. Yeah. So I, <laughs> I haven't gotten any. <laughs> I just got over that yesterday. Nice. Just, like, really, just yesterday. Like, I barely had anything. And then yesterday, I, I walk to work, and I have about a 20-minute walk to work. And so now it's, like, my that's my thing. I walk to work, and I, like just give myself an extra five minutes so I can like catch Pokemon along the way. And I, and I'm walking through like Times Square and like touristy areas. Mm-hmm. So I really don't care. I'm, I'm probably not going to be the stupidest looking person. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I feel like, I don't know. I think around here you are a little conspicuous if you're doing Pokemon Go. Yeah. It's true. So, as I mentioned, Jesse works at 18F, which is kind of a cryptic name. Do you know if that stands for anything? It does. What does it stand for? So, 18F is within an agency in the federal government called the GSA, and their office in Washington, D.C. is on 18th and F Street. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Nice. <laughs> I would never have guessed that. <laughs> That's cool. So 18F is, is it accurate to say it's headquartered in D.C.? Or in the sense that the most people are in D.C., it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but we are a distributed workforce. Mm-hmm. So ThoughtBot has what, 100 people, 150 people Mm -hmm. in nine offices and not really anyone anywhere else. We have a similar setup, but there are people all over. So we have like various places like San Francisco, Chicago, New York, where there are a group of people working out of an office. But we also have people working from their homes all over the country. Mm -hmm. Is it all Americans? I just would never think about asking that, but it just seems interesting because it's a U.S. government agency if it would appeal to international developers. We do have two people in our office in San Francisco with British accents. (laughs) I don't know (laughs) what their citizenship status is, but I do think people are interested in it. And, you know, the GDS, which is based out of London, they preceded 18F, and they are this digital agency within the government there that 
was a big inspiration for 18F. So um, certainly there's global interest in this type of That's organization. Really cool. What is GDS? The, I think it's uh, government digital service. It's just okay, it's okay. the 18F equivalent. And maybe we should talk about what 18F is. Yes, yes. Um, but it's a similar type of group in Great Britain. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, what is 18F? My understanding is that it's basically a consultancy. It's a federal agency that is a, a consultancy for other federal agencies for software projects specifically. Yeah, I would say it's accurate. I mean, so people who are familiar with ThoughtBot, which I don't know if your listeners are. Mm, I think so. <laughs> That's a good question. We're still finding our audience, so... Okay. I'm not sure. <laughs> so, you know, ThoughtBot is a consultancy. Mm -hmm. It's people with technical skills who build products for other people for money, mostly for private companies, nonprofits, startups, big tech companies, whatever. The model of 18F is very similar. We are technology experts who are building products and services for other people using our skills. Um, the big difference is that those other people are all government agencies mm -hmm. and we ourselves are within the federal government. Cool. Yeah, I just spent a couple months in London. And so I, that I kind of became aware of its GDS. Yes. English equivalent, the British equivalent. Yeah. And actually, I think I don't remember what website I was at, but I had to go to a UK government website. And I, my first impression was, oh, my gosh. I, I was so surprised to be at a uh, government of any country's website that looked so modern and was easy to use and well-designed and just was a good website. That's cool. I, I've, I don't think I've ever looked at a UK government website, but now I want to. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, um, what are some projects that you've worked on or are there any good examples of US sites that you guys have worked on? Yes. That you in particular have worked on. In terms of style. Well, so interestingly on the style front is there is a project at 18F called the U.S. Web Design Standards. Oh, really? Um, huh. Which uses other open source libraries, including Bourbon and Neat from ThoughtBot. Um, We're so excited about that. <laughs> <laughs> and U.S. Web Design Standards, I think the goal of it is to provide a set of tools that all agencies can use to make their website, that website that looks good, is easy to use, is accessible for people that are using screen readers, so 508 compliant, uses a color palette that people can read if their vision isn't really great. Um, so that is an ongoing project, and I know that internally we are trying to use them on all of our projects, these U.S. web design standards, um, but we're also, it's all open source, like everything that we do, so the hope is that other agencies adopt them, so that someday someone visits our site and goes, wow, this is a government website? Yeah. <laughs> Can't believe it. Yeah. Well, okay, I, I did, I should have mentioned this one because I was checking out the site, the U.S. web design standards. Um, it's like a really thorough, beautiful style guide. Yes. It's awesome. That's really cool. How long has this project been ongoing or when was it kicked off? So I started 18F about a year ago mm -hmm. and I think it was announced, released in my first month. So maybe about a year. Okay. So it's pretty new. So I'm guessing a lot of agencies, well, maybe more agencies than I would think have been able to adopt the standards. But do you know, do you have any idea? I don't know why you would know this off the top of your head, but what the adoption rate is. 
I don't know the adoption rate. I'm sure we could look at the download rate from mm-hmm. their website. Mm-hmm. They have Google Analytics. Yeah. But most importantly, I mean, ATNF as an organization is building stuff for other agencies. Yep. All kinds of agencies. And we internally are using U.S. web design standards on many of our projects, if not all of them. So, you know, our clients are the EPA, the FEC, all these acronyms that (laughs) you slowly (laughs) learn in government. (laughs) Only three letters. (laughs) So, yeah. So all those agencies have ongoing projects using these web design standards. Yeah. Unlikely they've adopted them for everything they're doing, but for some stuff they're doing. So it sounds like the web design standard project was an exercise in establishing a standard that can be widely adopted. Would you say that is a typical engagement for ATNF, or is there a typical engagement, or are, are the projects at ATNF and the work that ATNF does with different federal agencies kind of all over the place? Yeah, so I'd say we have three kind of types of projects, Mm -hmm. um, which that fits into one that I'll get to in a second. But so the first is like consulting projects where people kind of advise on technology, not necessarily creating the technology. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's kind of like consulting. And then we have people building specific solutions for specific problems. So, you know, your agency needs a way to process approvals for purchases. That's a project I worked on, right? So if you want to buy a new door handle for a door in a federal building, somebody needs to approve that purchase. And it's actually not a very straightforward process. And right now it happens through docs and emails and all kinds of paperwork. So we come in and we build like a very specific tool for a very specific problem. So that's kind of like products. And then there's like the third, which is kind of where the web design standards fits in, is like platforms. So tools that are helpful and maybe they're originally developed for one agency, but we see a broader need for this tool. Um, So one great example is cloud.gov, which I just say is Heroku for government. (laughs) Um, We cannot use Heroku for various regulatory reasons. Um, There are a lot of security needs for government websites that if you deploy manually, take a really, really long time. And all of that is automated through cloud.gov. And that is a service that we use internally that other agencies can pay to use. And it's built for government, but not necessarily for like one specific agency, but any agency that might find it useful. Cool. So that's something you, your 18F built. Yes. So cloud.gov is an 18F project, the US web design standards, even that kind of approval process software I was talking about before, that's called C2. Um, that was originally built for one agency. And then we said, oh, all agencies have these approval processes. Maybe we can make this more broadly usable for any approval chain. That's awesome. Uh, yeah. So, so there's potential for any given product that you build that it could become like more generally useful. Yes. And in two ways. I mean, the one way would be that we actively develop something so that it fits the needs of a different agency. And they, you know, pay for us to do that, you know, in a very like typical consulting way. Or the other thing is that all of our work is open source. So if somebody just wants to fork our repo and deploy it themselves, they can do that as well. And we want them to do that. Yeah, that's really cool. That's one of the coolest things about 18F's work is like, 
I don't know. I'm looking at this cloud.gov page, which looks really nice. It looks like very Web 2.0, very lovely. And Built with the web design stairs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there is an edit this page link at the bottom. So I could go to GitHub and, you know, if I see a typo, I can open a pull request. Please do. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I'm curious about the kind of the convention or the tradition of 18F's work being open source and where that came from or where, where yeah. Why is that? Was that important? Yeah. For 18F. Yeah. So it's definitely a core thing in 18F, this idea of everything being open, you know, as much as humanly possible. So I'd say 95% of what I've done, maybe 99% of what I've done there has been open source. Wow. And Brenda, you asked about the reason behind that. And somebody yesterday was just talking about this actually related to cloud.gov. And he was saying, you know, you're building a government website, you need to be secure. A lot of traditional kind of vendors that work in government are really into like privacy, security, shut it down. Like you get approval for things and like they're not answering questions because they're like, well, you know, is it secure if we tell them how we're doing this? Um, but the reality about security is that things are more secure when they're open. Right. When the whole Internet can see how you're doing something, you're going to expose bugs and security flaws a lot faster before it's a real crisis, as opposed to waiting till you deploy it and some, you know, hacker with less than positive intentions, you know, goes creeping on your infrastructure and catches something that you just didn't catch. So it is a security thing. And then I also think that it's a matter of, you know, we are government employees. We are paid with tax dollars. This software we are building is for the people. So they should be able to see it and use it and, you know, be able to see exactly what we're doing. And I think like that transparency is a big part of what we're trying to do. I love this. It's so nice to hear somebody doing something for the right reasons in the government. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what would you say are big challenges that you have faced or maybe some surprises along the way? Biggest challenge. So earlier, Lila mentioned, oh, the design standards are just a year old. In 18F land, that's pretty old. <laughs> um, we're, we've been around for about two and a half years. Um, a little longer if you count people who started as presidential innovation fellows and then kind of those people started 18F. And so they had already been fellows for a year, year and a half. And then they've been at 18F for a while longer. But basically, we're all new at this. So compare that to a tech company or like a consultancy like ThoughtBot that's been around 14 years. Something um, like that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we have like those kind of standard startup problems like you know having to establish a process for everything and having to then establish an even better process and hiring five new people every few weeks and onboarding them and having a consistent culture and what is that culture and so we do have those startup problems and we also have the problems of being in a huge bureaucratic system. So it's a really interesting combination where it's like, and sometimes I'm like, someone tell me how to do something. And then other times I'm like, hmm, I wish I could book this travel. But it's like the systems I need to use are these federal systems that have been around forever and are very difficult. 
um, which is a great motivator because we are building software. So we're like, yeah, let's improve it. Yeah, let's, <laughs> yeah, right? let's talk to them and talk about that. I mean, I, I feel like the joy of getting to, I, I think I love to refactor. I love, especially as a designer, my strength, I feel, is taking something that exists and making it better and improving upon that rather than um, starting Greenfield with something like I'm not really a branding designer. So this appeals to me. I can see the appeal in this in in taking these sites that I don't know. Like I feel like government websites probably suffer a lot the same as healthcare, where they were, you know, kind of in the beginning started building applications in like 99, 2000. And then a lot of these applications still exist. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. And so th they have a hard time, you know, it takes a lot to modernize. So those are the things that like I see as a designer and I, I want to improve so badly. And so then if somebody will pay me to do that, <laughs> <laughs> I'm so excited. <laughs> so Brenda, you... You have worked on some healthcare projects at ThoughtBot. Yeah. Yeah. And for some pretty big organizations. Yeah. And it feels like a lot of the things you've been talking about, Jesse, like have the same energy of the people we've worked with. You know, there's a lot of bureaucracy and that's just expected because it's just this old system that used to rely on paper and documents and files and binders. <laughs> so to you know, really make that digital in a, in a smart way now after everything we've learned in the past, you know, the world has learned in the past like 15 to 20 years of making web applications, now refactoring these things into smarter systems. I, it's, it feels like healthcare and government probably have a lot of the same problems they're trying to solve. And also probably other spheres like banking, probably very similar. Yeah, yeah, I bet you you're right. That's a good example. One one mm -hmm. thing to that, I mean, the like in the healthcare industry, the clients I've worked with, they've been so enthusiastic. And I like hear that enthusiasm. And I actually I'm feeling it like looking at the, the websites, like looking at the design standards. But like I hear it from you as well, Jesse. What motivated you? I know you have a background in political science, right? Do you have a degree? An undergrad degree, yeah. So I assume this probably like is part of the attraction, but what attracted you to work at 18F? So yeah, I went to a liberal arts college and majored in political science, pretty much because I had some experiences in high school where I was like, you know, government's cool. We could have a whole podcast about people picking majors in college because that's, <laughs> oh, yeah. that's another thing. <laughs> oh, yeah, it is. Sure. Um, but I enjoyed it. And so after I graduated from college, my kind of first job was that I worked on the Obama campaign in New Mexico. And then I interned for a senator in Boston. And from there, my career kind of took a left turn. <laughs> Uh, I got a job at kind of this random startup in Boston, but it seemed really exciting. And there was a lot of energy in that, that there was not in my internship for a senator. So I did that, which kind of led me down this path of like startup land, getting more into software development. You know, at that time I had no technical skills. So I was doing like marketing, you know, email blasts, whatever. And then my journey into the more technical side of startups led me to ThoughtBot. And 
18F seemed like a nice kind of return to my political roots <laughs> and my desire to do public service. I mean, I really did have that desire and I felt like the technology thing was cool and I really liked the ThoughtBot kind of philosophy of, you know, really clean code, TDD, best practices. But I wanted to work on projects that were more meaningful to me personally. Um, so it was a nice combination of like all these experiences I gathered in the beginning of my career and taking advantage of all of them in one job. There are some, there are some things about ThoughtBot culture that are very, I don't know if unique is the right word, but they're pretty strong. And, you know, something that I always associate with ThoughtBot is like being really into style guides and being really into defining and documenting processes. I actually think I brought this up on the bike shed when I was talking to Derek and Sean recently. ThoughtBot is really good at defining processes and then documenting them. And I was wondering if those habits have been useful for you at 18F. Yeah. I mean, I would say they definitely have. And funny little story, like when I was at ThoughtBot, I always thought, oh, you know, documentation and style guides, that's a ThoughtBot thing. And I'm at ThoughtBot, so I do those things. But I didn't associate them with who I am as a person. Mm -hmm. And then the minute I get to 18F, where that was not as big of a part of the engineering culture in particular, you know, everyone wants to do documentation, but it was not at the ThoughtBot level. <laughs> I realized that those things are really important to me. And I think that ThoughtBot instilled that in me, that documentation, processes, style guides, like those help you do your job better. And so we have a bunch of style guides at 18F, and I'm trying to kind of use my experience to guide people in the different processes and talk about how we can do it similarly or differently. Um, and again, they're all open source, so it's kind of fun. Anyone can kind of hop in and mm -hmm. chat with us about style guides. Yeah. So are the people you're working with, do they have similar background to yours? Yes. I would say most people have maybe some experience at another government agency, but probably more people have are coming from the private sector. And so how does this work within, like, the government like this doesn't have anything to do with I know like a bunch of things change when a new president comes into office but you guys sound like you're not something that's gonna change if things change in November yeah so some people within the GSA which is our kind of parent agency are political appointees so they will what switch does over. GSA stand for general services administration <laughs> so okay most people in the GSA um, like in our building here in San Francisco are involved in like real estate in some way they're like the landlords of the government <laughs> they develop buildings oh. and maintain them and install AC or whatever huh. So then there's them, and then there's another part of the GSA that deals with acquisitions, and then we're this kind of third agency. It's, it's officially now called TTS, Technology Transformation Service. And underneath TTS is OXIT, this other group, and then 18F. So what was my original point? Oh, yeah, so there are people <laughs> who are political appointees in that chain of stuff um, that I just talked about. I am not a political appointee, so who the president is does not affect me personally. And the nice thing is that technology is an extremely bipartisan issue. 
Like, we can only really save money <laughs> at this point. Yeah. Like, I think I wrote down some numbers. The federal government spends $86 billion a year on contracted IT projects. Huh. Wow. And then $70 billion on state-contracted IT. So, you know, we're a pretty small part of that. But we're trying to have a big impact. And I think yeah. people on all sides realize this is important. It's essential to us moving forward as a country. like <laughs> To have good technical infrastructure. <laughs> to have good technical infrastructure and to have people internal to the government who understand technology. So even if we're still contracting with external people, that we can be making informed decisions instead of just being like, okay, you know, do what you need to do. Like mm -hmm. we, need to, we need to have experts internally. Right. Yeah, this is um, reminding me of a talk I attended at Airbnb. Airbnb has a great series of tech talks. And this was a while ago. I feel like this was probably two summers ago. There was a talk by some members of the, I think it was called the Internet Task Force. Um, so the team that was assembled when healthcare.gov totally failed. <laughs> it, it was just a really interesting talk by some of the core members of this group of people that Obama, I'm going to say Obama, I don't know if it was literally Obama, but you know, the Obama administration assembled to come in and basically do, I guess crisis management isn't the word, but you know, figure out what was going on with the website, healthcare.gov, figure out why it wasn't working and figure out how to fix it in the most timely manner possible. And it was interesting because the things that the members of this team talked about were things that were very organizational. They were talking about how like healthcare.gov, like one of the problems was that there were tons of different contractors who weren't talking to each other. And so, you know, pieces weren't lining up and fitting together and things were falling through the cracks. And as a result, page loads would time out. There'd be hundreds, et cetera. So one thing they did was they just got everybody in the same room. Like, mm -hmm. that was one thing they did. One other thing they did was they just set up exception monitoring. Or, you know, they set up New Relic. Like, I think that was the first thing they did. It's something New Relic is, is a performance monitoring service. Anyway, I'm telling the story because that's what comes to mind, Jesse, when you're talking about people in government being able to make informed decisions about how to best collaborate with people in the private sector. Because without that expertise, things seem to kind of fall apart. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I can imagine, too, that, like, it just makes much more sense to go to you instead of just for what you said, like, having cloud.gov, you've solved one of the major problems that every government website is going to need to mm -hmm. solve. And they were going probably to hundreds of different contractors before who would each individually solve that problem by themselves and paying for that problem to be solved over and over and over again. And I remember reading an article, too, about um, healthcare.gov and something like, I'm going to get the number totally wrong, but it was it was a ridiculous number of contract agencies on the site. It was mm -hmm. something like in the 40s yeah, or right. 50s, I yeah. feel. And as soon as I read that, I was like, oh, well, of course, you know, of course it didn't work. Are there people who were working on that? And, and then actually, before I say that, I want to say, like, I was actually shocked how well it cleaned up so fast. Yeah. 
I, I think that must have been such an enormous accomplishment and feat and what went on behind the scenes there in between, you know, the first failure, I guess, and then um, the relaunch, because we really never heard anything after that, like things just worked again. Are there people who were working on that that work at 18F or work with you? Yes. I mean, the people who made 18F possible were definitely looking at the healthcare.gov situation Mm -hmm. and saying, okay, let's not do this again. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Let's make sure this doesn't happen again. Yeah. Um, And so, you know, there is now the U.S. Digital Service, which is another group of technology experts that are in the federal government that are a little separate from 18F. They're internal to agencies. So, like, I think the VA has one, Department of Education, Homeland Security. So different agencies have their own tech teams. And that's also part of this whole effort to, like, not have giant disasters. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Cool. Do you also, like, work alongside the tech team in different agencies like like we do at ThoughtBot, like we work with team members who are already, you know, full time at our clients? Yeah, we do. And going back to our conversation a minute ago to talk about like the people we partner with and, you know, kind of the importance of helping them make good decisions and being internal and that helps us versus being external. So two points I want to make. So part of it's that we advise them, but we also are kind of educating them. So think about a thought, but you've worked with various clients. Some like worked at a tech company for 10 years, understand agile, understand technology, understand alpha, beta, right? They understand how things work. And those clients are always the best to work with, right? Because they have realistic expectations. You have a shared vocabulary. They don't just hand you a 5,000-page document describing (laughs) the application they want and expect you to deliver it in five years, which, like, is how technology has been happening in government for a long time. Yeah, I mean, that was a joke, but that wasn't a joke, was it? No. (laughs) They spent probably a year putting together without any technical advice. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, you know, and then they deliver in five years, and it's, like, using some programming language, like, doesn't even exist anymore and you're like oh my god (laughs) so so that's one thing like we're just working on educating our partners so that they can be better partners to us and to external vendors when discussing and developing technology and be open to the idea of like releasing stuff early and often to get feedback um so that's one thing and then the second thing i wanted to talk about and sorry brenda i feel like i'm ignoring your question we can go back to it in a second I don't even remember what my question was. I'm, I'm, I'm listening. Is so one interesting difference between us being internal versus external is that we also have our eye on when something is a technology problem and when it's a policy problem. Mm. So you know, not every problem has a technical solution, right? Yep. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like so, sometimes you go in. Like this is true for my approval pro- chain project. Like you can build the most excellent software available on the internet to manage a fifteen-step approval process. 
but it's still a 15-step process. And that's still 15 people approving something, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it is. And so so we can build excellent software, but because we are internal and because there are people on our team who are lawyers, who understand government, who've been in government for a while. We have some people who actually have been working in the federal government for many years, and they are excited about this new idea of like, let's not just try to like follow all the existing policies if they don't make sense, especially in this new era of the internet and like the world is changing. Sometimes the policies need to change with them, Mm -hmm. right? So we also try to kind of keep our eye on not just like blindly building software to solve every problem, but like saying, why is this a problem? And is there something we can do that's not building a website that will help in the situation? That's awesome. That's so important. I feel like sometimes um, we can at ThoughtBot go too far on that because since we're all developers or designers, like we're all technical, like our, you know, our whole company is um, everybody's at least a developer designer, even our CEO, you know, everybody has that technical background. I think we can easily like want to solve things with technology too. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's really interesting that at ATNF, you are in a position where you're empowered to push for those policy changes. And I think as like a purely external consultant would have a harder time getting traction on making policy or organizational changes. So yeah, I've come up with that before in in client work. Yeah, that's really cool. What was my question that you ignored, Jesse? <laughs> I can't remember. <laughs> I think you asked if anybody had worked on healthcare.gov who was at 18F or was that it? That was your oh, question. Oh yeah. I mean, it sounds like it, that would you say that like that situation kind of helped usher in this movement? I mean, certainly for me personally, <laughs> I will say like that, that's that's the first time I really became aware of the importance of technology and the federal government. Yeah, me too, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, probably. Probably me too. I mean, I don't think I ever really thought about it before. I remember, I mean, we have an office in Sweden, and the employees there were talking about how they file their taxes. And they basically just send a text message that what? says yes. <laughs> like they can file their taxes through SMS. That's amazing. Unless they have to do anything particular. But um, I mean, again, I think like the whole infrastructure set up that like, if you're just a paid employee and you're not a um, independent contractor, then the government already knows your income. So you just say yes. Hmm. That's different. Yeah. Build that, Jesse. <laughs> I want yeah, that. Yeah, just, you know, integrate something with Twilio and be easy. <laughs> so I do want to know, what do you see for yourself in the future? Do you have you, has this return to the world of public service been satisfying for you? Yes, it's definitely been satisfying and I don't know what's next. Mm-hmm. Um, something interesting about ATNF that we haven't discussed yet is that we are hired for two-year terms. Um, there is an option to renew for a second term, but it's like a max four-year situation. Um, really? Yes. Oh, that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. What is the thought process behind that? I mean, that's kind of, I guess that's kind of how government works in a lot of ways. 
Yeah, it's the like the hiring authority. I think it enabled them to hire us more quickly than if we'd been hired on as like lifetime employees, as some people are. So it was a sh- like a it was still a long process, mm-hmm. but it was a sh- relatively shorter. So yes, there's a ticking clock on my service at HF. <laughs> okay, it doesn't mean it's a ticking clock on my service within the government or the federal government or in public service in general. But yeah, what I'm thinking about right now is kind of how I want to balance like doing what needs to be done in the world and like investing in myself and doing what's best for myself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I think those can be aligned as goals in a job in my career. But I don't know what that looks like yet. Yeah, I've been feeling lately that kind of like I'm past entry level. So what what do I want to do next? You know, like for so many years, I worked so hard to get in, you know, to get my foot in the door. And then now I'm looking for that next challenge Mm -hmm. and trying to figure out it's kind of an interesting place to be, I think, but a little daunting. Yeah. I think, Brenda, at some point you described it as being at, at the point where you care about more than just getting a good job. Like, you want whatever that job is to be aligned with the personal and professional growth you're hoping to do. Yeah. It's a nice problem to have. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> it's a luxury. <laughs> cool. Well, it was so nice to catch up with you, Jesse. And thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Love you guys. The Lila and Brenda Show is hosted by Lila Winner and Brenda Storer and is brought to you by ThoughtBot and produced by Tom Obarski.